Hey y'all, this is Sam and this is Crimology. This is yet another week without Steven. He is currently on the beach in Florida and did nothing today but send me pictures of him on the beach today. So he is out living his best life and left me here yet again on an episode by myself. But we're going to roll with it. This is episode 81, which means that we have nine more episodes in this season. If you are new and don't know what that means, it's just a way for us to break up seasons and it just makes it easier on our side for publishing and easier because we have a lot of documentation and stuff that we have on our side. So it just makes it easier for us. But we have 30 episodes per season. And then we take about two weeks off in between each season. Again, just to be able to give me time to write cases and catch up on cases and then us time to brainstorm ideas. And that's kind of the time that we any changes that we make, we make in those two weeks. So anyways, nine more weeks left or nine more episodes left in this season and then we'll take a two-week break. So I am back to ramble by myself again and then hopefully next week Stephen will be here again to finish the season off with us. Um, But yeah, we're just going to go ahead and I'm going to post, I'm going to plug our social medias. We have Instagram and Facebook, both at Pod. We have an email, crimologypod at gmail.com. Make sure to leave us a rating, a review, give us five stars. It makes us look good out to the public. It also makes us feel good in the inside. Uh, So make sure to do all of those things. And yeah, this is episode 81, Carly Brucia. January 31st, 2004. 11-year-old Carly spends the night at a friend's house. The next day, around 6 p.m., she leaves her friend's house to head home to watch the Super Bowl with her family. Now, Carly tells her friend's mom that her mom said it was okay for her to walk home, even though it was about a mile walk between the two houses. So after Carly leaves, her friend's mom calls Susan, Carly's mom, to let her know what was happening. Susan was not okay with her daughter walking that far, so sent Carly's stepdad, Steve, to pick her up. Now, Steve drives the route that Carly would have taken, but can't find her. So Steve drives around for about an hour before returning home, hoping that Carly had shown up, but she never came back home. So the family leaves the house again to look for Carly altogether, And while walking, the only odd thing the family notices was a red tow truck that drives by them and goes really slow, passing by them. They continue with their search, ending at Carly's friend's house, when they notice the same red tow truck parked on her friend's street. With no leads, around 7.30 p.m., Susan calls police to report Carly as missing. The next morning, the family goes out again to hand out missing person flyers, and during this time, Steve, the stepdad, he stops at a local business and asks one of the employees if he could come back in a couple of days to buy drugs. 
He said he was gonna wait until this whole thing blows over. Now, this employee thought that this was a really weird thing to say, so they call police and tell them what happened. So, Steve is brought in for questioning about what happened, but he tells police that he was at home with Susan the whole day. And then when police go and ask Susan, she backs up Steve's story, so police drop this issue. However, when Steve was being questioned, he mentioned the name Ron Chowkit, who owned a red tow truck and was also dating Carly's friend's mom, the same friend she stayed the night with. So now police go back to the friend's house to question Ron. But he tells police that he left for work that morning hours before Carly left. And when police question Ron's co-workers, they back up his story, so they drop this issue. Now with two leads that ended up with nothing, police go to Susan to ask her more questions about Carly. Now when Susan first reported Carly missing, they ask her if Carly had ever run away before or if this was normal behavior for her. And Susan at the time on the phone call with 911 said no, that this was not normal. So they asked Susan again if this was normal behavior for her or if she had ever run away before. Susan says no, that this is never something that Carly would have not done and that she loved her life. However, when police go to the friend that Carly spent the night with, her friend had a completely different story to say. When police go and talk with her, she says that the night Carly spent the night with her, Carly was saying multiple times that she did not want to go back home because she had too many responsibilities at home. Carly's friend also says that Carly had nothing but negative things to say about her family while she stayed the night. So now the police wonder if this is actually a runaway case. However, the next day, police start their search up back up again nonetheless, and this time they bring dogs in to track Carly's scent. The dogs follow Carly's scent to a local car wash, but from there, the scent disappears. So locals know that walking behind the car wash is a shortcut to get from Carly's friend's house to Carly's neighborhood. So this is probably why she was walking back there and everybody kind of knows this. So they contact the owner of the car wash and find video footage of Carly from their security cameras. On video, they see a man approach Carly, grab her by the wrist, step in front of her, talk to her, and then pull her out of frame. So Carly's parents confirm that the girl on the video was Carly, but they have no idea who this man is. We can see that he is a white man with dark hair. He is in a dark color uniform with a name tag on the right chest. A uniform looking like a mechanic's uniform. Like it's a, you could tell that it's like a one piece. And he also has tattoos on his right forearm. Now police release the footage to the public hoping to get some information and they get floods of tips, but ultimately them all leading to dead ends. However, they do get some tips that say the man looked like 37-year-old Joseph Smith, a car mechanic with a lengthy criminal record. 
He was out on parole for a drug bust when Carly went missing. Now, looking at his criminal record, most of his crimes were drug-related, but he did have a couple of violence against women charges, including kidnapping, aggravated battery, and false imprisonment. One of Joseph's co-workers was somebody who called in saying that he thought the man was Joseph based on what the man looked like and his mannerisms. And then another co-worker of Joseph's called in and said that the day after Carly's disappearance, Joseph came into work looking very nervous and like he was under the influence of drugs while at work. So now police go back to the car wash to check footage again. This time they're looking specifically for Joseph's car on video. However, they end up finding out that Joseph's car was not working at the time, so he would have been using somebody else's. So police decide to just go look at the footage anyways and see if there's anything suspicious. And police discover that the only car that came into the car wash parking lot without getting a wash was a yellow station wagon. So now with all of this information, police search for Joseph to question him. They had found out that Joseph's wife kicked him out of their house. And at the time he was living with his friend Jeffrey and his wife, renting a room out of their house. So when police get to the house, they don't get an answer at the door. They start talking to neighbors who tell them that Joseph was out in the driveway earlier that day talking to a woman that they thought was his sister and that they were very confident that Joseph was still in the house. Joseph's sister ends up coming back to the house and after talking with police, she goes inside the house to look for Joseph. And then she finds him, and when he comes out to the door, he tells police that he was sleeping and he didn't hear them knocking. When asked where he had been the day of Carly's kidnapping, he tells police that he was at home watching the Super Bowl. When he is shown the video footage, he denies that being him, and he is asked to roll up the sleeve of his right arm, and police do see tattoos on his right forearm, along with minor cuts on his face and his hands. Then Joseph admits to borrowing Jeffrey's car the day of the kidnapping, but he said he only took it to a nearby marina to look at the water and then he came back. Then police get in co- police ask to see the car and they discover that it is a yellow station wagon. Now police get in contact with Jeffrey's wife who confirms everything of Joseph's story. She says that he was at home all day and that he did only use their car for a short time. So now, police don't know what to think and they don't know where to go from here. But when police are at the house, Joseph's parole officer shows up to do a check-in. They end up finding drugs, syringes, and spoons in his car, so he is arrested. Later that evening, police receive a call from Jeffrey himself, Joseph's friend that he's staying with. He said that his wife got her dates mixed up when talking to police. He said that they did let Joseph use their car, but he didn't come back till the next morning. 
Jeffrey also said that he had reset the odometer before letting Joseph have the car. And when Joseph came back, there was over 300 miles on it. And he tells police that the morning of the kidnapping, Joseph did leave the house wearing his mechanic uniform that looked like the same uniform from the video. Now, the couple agreed to have their house searched, but ultimately nothing is found. So now while Joseph is in jail, one of his lifelong friends calls police and tells them that he thought Joseph was the person in the video. And he also tells police that in the last couple of weeks, Joseph had started to tell him how he had been having this desire, this fantasy to assault a woman. So now with all of this on Joseph, he is transported from the jail to the police station for a formal interrogation. However, Joseph immediately shuts the conversation down by asking for a lawyer. But he does ask the police for favors. He asks multiple times to be able to call his mom or his brother, and he is denied. And then finally, right before police leave the room, he asks police if there is any way they would be able to get him a little something to smoke. When police realize that they aren't going to get anything from Joseph, they transport him back to jail. Now back at the jail is when Joseph is able to call his family. He starts by calling his brother John and surprisingly admits to everything. John turns around and calls police, asking them to meet him at his house so he could tell them what he was told. John tells police that Joseph admitted to abducting, brutally assaulting, and murdering Carly and dragging her body to a wooded area behind a church. But Joseph does say that he doesn't remember much of what happened past that because of his drug use. Now, officials believe that this was just Joseph trying to get out of a life sentence if he told everybody he couldn't remember the details. So officials believe that he was just trying to get sent to a facility to get, you know, better instead of being sent to prison. And so that's why officials believe that he kind of stuck with this. I know that I did this and I know that I did that, but I don't know details. So like, don't ask me details. Now, on February 5th, John takes police to where Joseph said the body was and Carly's body is found. Now, while police are at John's house, John gets multiple phone calls from Joseph where police are able to sit and listen to Joseph tell them everything. Also, during this time, their mother comes to John's house where she says that Joseph also called her admitting to the murder. And then at this time, Joseph is charged with murder. October 24th, 2005, Joseph is found guilty of first-degree murder, battery of a child under 12, and kidnapping. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murder and life without possibility of parole for the other crimes. However, on July 18th, 2017, a new law was passed that said the death penalty could only happen by a unanimous jury. And on his, 
it was three to two. So his death penalty was retracted. But in July 2021, Joseph would pass away in jail at the age of 55 while waiting for his new sentencing hearing. So that's episode 81. I tried to find a longer one since I don't have Stephen here to bigger with me and have Stephen to come back with questions or comments or stuff. So I tried to find a long one to give you guys something. Um, and so that's this episode for this week. Like I said, hopefully Stephen and I will be able to be have our roads connect again and our lives connect and hopefully we'll be back with our regular scheduled program next week and so you guys can get that bickering back and forth and not just me rambling um but like always thank you guys so much for continuing to come back and listen to me babble it makes me feel good inside uh selfishly So thank you guys so much for listening and continuing to come back and listen. We haven't talked about numbers in a long time, but we continue to see numbers grow and we continue to see so many of you guys come back week after week and listen. And it's super cool to know that there are so many people literally all over the world who listen to my little voice. And so it's just super cool to think of. And so thank you guys so much for letting us do this and listening to us. So yeah. This is episode 81. Like always, this is Sam and this is Crimeology.